13. Have a look on along with me. It's just a few verses. We're just going to read Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. God, we just want to pray that as we take this time right now, we just want to, Holy Spirit, we just want to ask you just to open our hearts and minds, give us the, the appropriate attention and a capacity just to hear what you're saying to us, what you want to say to us this morning. Open our hearts to, uh, to accept you in, 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 uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew 22, and um, we find Jesus in a little bit of a tete-a-tete, if you like, with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, and this happened relatively often. And um, we come in at verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, it's a bit of like a little bit of competition, isn't it? They gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, of course, asked him a question to test him. Jesus, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So, so far, Jesus' response to the challenge. Uh, as I said, this is the, the, the final. We've, been, um, we've done a mini-series, Jesus Says, and uh, this is the final um, installment in that. And we've looked for a bit and we've wanted to look at the things that Jesus specifically said. And, and not just because it's kind of cool to look at what Jesus said, but because it's instruction for us. It's guidance for us. It helps us to understand how to shape our thoughts, our life, our, our actions around the things that Jesus felt important to, to talk about. Things that would direct our thoughts and actions. You know, we talked about things like you will receive, Jesus said you will receive power. Um, as um, Joel alluded to, we, we looked at, uh, Jesus talked about where treasure is, there your heart is, and, and how we should deal with treasure. Um, we looked at, do not worry. Jesus said, don't, you know, don't worry. Um, and also we looked at what, whatever you did for the least of these. Jesus said, whatever you did for the least of these, you, you did it for me, and more. I won't go through all of them. But today we want to focus on... <laughs> On what Jesus says, and, and in my mind, and you know, I'm up the front here, so it gets to be my mind for this little bit of time. But in my mind, this possibly trumps or, or crowns everything else that Jesus said. Um, or maybe I could say this kind of give, gives context to everything else that Jesus says, all the other stuff that we've, we've looked at and talked about. And perhaps what Jesus says here is, is actually the reason and motivation for, for everything and anything else that we've talked about, your treasure and, and, and worrying, etc. It's um, kind of like in my mind, I've sort of like our final word in this series is almost like Jesus' final words or Jesus' ultimate words, aren't they? When all is said and done, when all is tested and tried and all is argued and challenged, the two most important things are love God with all your heart, soul and mind. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. In our scripture, we come across yet another test session, or a test Jesus session. It's kind of, a, if you follow that through, you'll see that, you know, the Pharisees had a shot and then the Sadducees had a shot and um, they're almost in competition with each other, seeing if they can unseat or whether they can unsettle Jesus, this, um, this person that's coming to their midst. And this time it's a lawyer, and a lawyer would know, right? How would Jesus respond to this? Um, 
How would, how would Jesus respond to that? Or this, or, or this accusation, or this question, would he deny the law? You know, that the Pharisees and Sadducees were waiting to trip him up. Would, would he deny the law? Would he counter what the prophets of old said? Would he undo what they had for centuries, you know, listened and believed what the prophets said? Could they trip him up? Could they show him up to be the sham that they think he is? Or the sham that they want others to think he is? Because he's gathering a following and it's a threat. Can, can we trip him up? Can we? And so you can imagine these sessions where they're just trying to figure out how, how they go away and come up with a strategy and they send out this lawyer, you go, ask him this, you know. And this happened often. Each time they wanted to see what Jesus would say about their laws, uh, their systems, would he affirm them? Would, would he honour them? Uh, would he bag them out? Would he, would he you know, poo-poo them? Would he finally uh, discredit himself in front of everybody else if they found the right thing to sort of challenge him on? But notice one thing that Jesus never says that the things that they hold up, the things that they talk about by definition are wrong or bad or not good things to do. He very rarely does that. That's almost never his focus. It's always where these things come from. It's always the heart that they come from. It's why. It's the motivation. You might remember, I don't think we, we spoke on that one, you might remember when they were challenged him on the Sabbath, when they challenged Jesus on the Sabbath, and, and he totally undid them and just exposed their motivation for the Sabbath, their motivation for all the rules and, and that kind of stuff. Jesus never destroyed the actual things or never, almost, almost never destroyed the actual things or said the things were bad. It was always the motivation. Why? Why were these things really important? And that's why these few verses are probably so key. That's why this statement from Jesus is so important. What's the greatest thing? You know, if Jesus could say, this is, what, if, if this is the last thing I can say to you, if you have to remember um, one thing, or if you have to remember two things that I want to say to you, this, this is it. Love God and love others. Because all the law and prophets depend on this. All the law and the prophets, all these things that you talk about, all the, the things the prophets talked about, the, the, the ways that you want to follow, they all rely on this. All the law and prophets and all the, the, the structures you can only ever mean anything at all in the context of love God and love others. They can only ever work when they're underpinned by love, by these two things. So for us, how better to, to round off our Jesus says than with this kind of Jesus, now hear this before you go kind of statement. Because in some ways... The same is true for us, isn't it? It's um, when we've analysed all that Jesus said, when we've theologised the Old and, and New Testament, as we do sometimes, when we've ordered our churches and our worship and, and structured them all, when we've um, structured our ministries and our missions and our programs, when we've debated on Facebook and at home, when we've made our final denominational stand, as we do, all important things and none of them in and of themselves unworthy. But when we've done all that, these two things remain, these two key things. All those other things, without these two th key things that Jesus talks about, are useless, are worthless. 
They can only ever serve our relationships with God and the world if they're founded by and they operate in love, loving God and loving others. All our laws and our structures and our theologies depend on these two things. And we need reminding of that. We kind of know that. You're probably sitting and thinking, oh, you know, I know that. We're supposed to love God and, you know. We need reminding of that. It wasn't long afterwards. If you just read, you, you might remember Paul in 1 Corinthians. What, what did he say? You know, anyone, anyone remember what Paul said? You know, if, if I speak in the tongues of, if I, you know, all this sort of, I do all these things, and, but I don't love, I am. Yeah, I mean, how many of us felt like clanging cymbals recently? But okay, it's good language, isn't it? I'm just a resounding gong. I'm just a noise. I'm white noise we would talk about today, wouldn't we? If, if I do all this great stuff, I do this noble stuff, I, I do Cavell Kitchen, I, I go to Africa, I, I bring meals to people, I, I, I pray these beautiful prayers, I do these great worship times, but if I don't love, it's white noise. If I don't love God and love others, if it isn't, if it isn't seated in that, if it isn't surrounded by that, if it isn't founded by that, we need reminding of that, and Paul knew that in the, to the Corinthian church. Because you see, I can, I can truly believe and hold on to many things, and I do, you know, and I can, you know, for instance, I believe in the sanctity of life. I believe that life begins at conception, that we don't have the right to end it. I believe in God's view of marriage, the biblical view of marriage. I believe spiritual gifts still operate through Christ's followers today. I believe we can still see spiritual gifts operating in our church today. I believe that we're all called to go into the world with the gospel, wherever go is for you. And I believe many, many more things. But if my love for God and others doesn't totally overshadow those individual beliefs, then all those beliefs profit the kingdom and mean nothing. If my love for God doesn't totally overshadow those individual beliefs... It's not minimizing the importance of individual issues. It's not saying that they're not important or that we don't need to have structure or that you don't need to think about your theology. It's not saying that at all. It's maximizing the importance of loving God first and allowing that same attitude that Jesus has to flow through our hearts and lives into a very, very lost world because that's what we live in. We live in a lost world, a world that people are lost. So how do I love God? How do I, you know, if we look at what Jesus said and, and we give it a little bit, we give it you know, hands, feet, fingers, toes, how do I love God? And, and I think Jesus made it really clear in his answer. He said, love God with your heart, your soul and your mind. Three really carefully chosen words. They're not random. They're not just a, a way to say stuff. You see, your heart is, is, is not just that thing that, you know, we do it like this when we did the worship. If we did the heart, we did this and you could thump if you wanted to. Didn't you say that? You know, and most of us like to, you know, it's comforting to put your hand here and, yep, still going. Have you ever done that? Or is it just me? <laughs> you know, no. Especially after they make me ride the bike up a really hill. I don't even need to do this. I can, I can hear it. You know. but, it's come, but it's not just that. When Jesus talks about our heart, it's not just that thing that's thumping in your chest. When he talks about the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, it talks about the guts of who you are. The very being who you actually are, what you want, what you desire, what you live for, your passions, who you really are. The, the, guts of, the, the practical guts of how you live your life, your lifestyle, your choices, your time, 
what actually makes you up. It's the, the heart of who you are. And that that, that is, is totally dedicated to God and His purposes. Your heart, these things, your, your very being reflect first and foremost who you love. <laughs> and they point to Him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all that you are, with your, with your being, with everything. Your worship ultimately is not for you but for God. Because in the end of the day, your very being worships something. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And your soul, you know, another, another really key word, that this is your sense of destiny, your, your future. Your, um, your eternity, you know, what, what you're building this life on earth here about, your purpose, your, your inner life, your identity, your soul, that all that's reflective of God, the one you love. You find yourself, the very inner being, you find your identity in the one you love. Love the Lord your God with all your soul. That... that Loving the Lord your God with all your eternity, with everything that, that you're going to become and that you are. It's interesting, you use, they use that, uh, I was thinking of that, um, that sentence they use when you sell your soul to something, you know, you sell your soul to the devil or you sell your soul. The language behind that is that you've given away your future to something else. And God says, love the Lord your God with all your soul. Give me your future. That's really what you're intended to do. And your mind. Now, this isn't unimportant. You know, God wants us to love Him with our minds, with our intellect, with our reason, with our thought processes, with our intelligence. Think things like opinions and, again, theology. Love God with these things. Make sure that you love God with the way that you think and not love ourselves. And, you know, um, intellect can often be the, one of these tricky things where we can really love our in, own intellect and the way that we reason and the way that we come to a position. It's almost, you know, I, I can tell you that when I'm having a discussion, we won't call it an argument, with Sue, when, I, when, I'm, you know, when I'm figuring it all out, when I'm explaining it all, it's unfaltered. It's perfect. I know that. I can't see why she doesn't see that, but it's, it's perfect. I know that. But, but that's how we're wired. We, we reason and we come to conclusions and we think, that's it. But that's when we're worshipping at the altar of us. God says, I want your mind. I want you to love God with your intellect and your reason. And if we love God with our intellect and our reason, it's open to input from God. And we use our intellect to steer and to use it for God's ways. And so these are three major, they're not random words. Jesus said, love God with all your heart, everything you are. With your soul, give me your future. With your mind, the way you think, the way you reason, I want it. Love God, love me with that. And the second is like it. If you love God with these three key parts that make us up, the second follows. It's a natural, isn't it? Natural progression, just as important. Love others. How do we love others? I think the same three things apply, don't they? As we love God with our heart and our soul and our mind, we, we love what He loves. When you're totally sold out to, to someone, when you're following someone, you know, you, you love what He loves. And there's, there's the old analogy, you know, there's this kid that just, 
totally sold out by some, I don't know, um, music sensation. If I say something, I'll just make my, I'll embarrass myself. But, you know, or, or when, you, when you're a young sports person, you, you sold out for a, a, hu- a huge soccer player or someone that's brilliant. You know, and, and so <laughs> I think I've told this story before. Once years ago, I was teaching in a school, and these five young guys were just so enthralled by Benny Hinn. Anyone remember Benny Hinn? Well, Benny Hinn wears these, these fantastic suits and smart as, but it was always known back then, and if I've told this story before, just tolerate me. Um, it was known back then that Benny Hinn didn't wear socks in his shoes. You know, he had these really flash shoes, but didn't wear socks. Benny Hinn was speaking in Amsterdam, and these guys said, Can we go and see him? And I said, Well, you can go, just make sure you're back for class in the morning, you know, as long as it doesn't impinge on. So they did. And these. <laughs> I still laugh about it. The next morning they came into class and guess what? Not one of them was wearing socks. (laughs) And look, because that's what we're like as humans, we laugh at people, but we do that. We emulate. We want to be like, don't we? And so if we love God with our heart and soul and mind, we want to be like him. We want to love others that exact same way that God would love them if he, if, if, if he was loving them, if, if the same way that he would. We're passionate for what he's passionate for. So when, when God is passionate for the widow or the poor or the lonely or the sick, that we become passionate for them, that's how we love others. Because we love him, his will becomes our will. Remember, you've, you've, you've given him your heart, you've given him your soul, you've given him your mind, so you're totally for him. So we love others with our heart, soul, and mind as well. We do the same. We love God with our heart, soul, and mind. We love others using these three major expressions. You know, the heart, sacrificial and giving lifestyle for others, giving our time to others, making choices that, that will benefit others, shaping our, shaping our lives and, and our lives of service around loving others, loving those who need us, dedicating ourselves. And with our soul, our purpose and identity is primarily in loving others, is being Jesus here on earth, caring for others. Our destiny is linked with this and and we find a a reflection of God and and others and image bearers. We're image bearers and we see others as image bearers, reflections of God in others. Now I think mind, our mind, that's an interesting one. Loving others with our reasoning, our intelligence and intellect. How would it be if we all used our intellect and our amazing intelligence, which we all have, totally just to benefit others, just to love others? Because quite frankly, we don't. We study, we use our intellect to see how we can better ourselves here on this journey, don't we? How would it be if we totally used our intellect, our smarts, our abilities, our reasoning to love others, to enhance the lives of others wherever they are in the world? the poor, the lost, the oppressed. And we didn't use our intellect to demolish others or to to elevate ourselves, to to place ourselves a little bit. That's how we love others with our mind as well. Sounds really nice, doesn't it? Sounds even spiritual. But what does that look like daily? How how is it shaped? And I think it's, it's giving ourselves practically to God. Saying, God, you know, you can have me practically. You can, you can have me physically. You, you can have my thoughts and, and you can have my future. It's giving ourselves practic- practically to God. And by doing that, 
by progression, giving ourselves to others. And there's a cost to that. It's, it's sacrificial, but it's purposeful. And it leads to us pointing to Jesus. How do we love others? We give ourselves. We give of ourselves. And when we give ourselves, that's not just... It, ourselves is everything that we have, isn't it? When I ask you, you know, um, when Jesus said... Um, when Jesus said, you know, you need to lose your life to save it, he wasn't talking about physically just that heart stops pumping, you die. Think of what constitutes your life. It's friends, it's family, it's finances, it's future, it's career, it's dreams. It's, that's your life. When you love others, when you love God with all your heart, soul and mind, you love others, you give your life to the service of God and others, practically, sacrificially. Structuring our church ministries first to love others, to be strategic and intentional on all fronts. How is this, what we do in church, what we do in youth, what we do in young adults, what we do in kids, how is this loving God with all our heart, soul and mind? And how is this loving others with all our heart, soul and mind? How is it reflecting that? If this really was the two greatest things, if Jesus was right and we choose to believe him here, the two greatest things, how is what we do reflective of that? Should it be? I think I'm going to venture out and say yes. So what does that look like in the church, you know? Um, how do we love each other in the church? By, you know, we need to do this in all fronts. We need to love each other. We need to, you know... <laughs> We were watching it and I couldn't remember and Glenn showed us a clip in the office or oh, it might have been almost a year ago and I was trying to find it but I couldn't. You know, this whole sense of, well, I think it was Francis Chan was talking about, you know, genuinely loving each other in the church. And he says, well, we don't. We kind of like each other but the Bible doesn't call us to like each other. It genuinely calls us to love each other and love costs and love is expensive and, and love is inconvenient and, that, and so that's what it looks like in a church, that we don't just kind of like each other or tolerate each other or think, oh, it's cool that you're part of my church, but we actually figure out what would it mean for me to love you? What's going on in your life? How do I actually love you? Our kids, our youth, the, the people that are struggling in our midst, that we genuinely look for ways to love them. In the community, you know, we have so many opportunities in the community. I'm just getting really practical here. Scoresby Secondary College, where we are here, you know, in Cavell, we genuinely have an opportunity to love the people that come to Cavell, to listen to them, to, to serve them, to, to ask them questions, to, to go the next step and present hope, to present Jesus to them. To go beyond that soup or that, that chili or whoever, oh, there's a bit of a competition which groups are doing the better meals at the moment, but for, to go beyond that meal and even beyond the Scrabble game or the, the Jenga game and actually start talking about hope. Actually start answering the questions that, believe me, are there. And doing the same in, in your community, in your family. You know, not my whole family doesn't know Jesus. Is yours doing the same? How do, you, how do you love them, really love them at school, at, at work? How, how do you, in the community, how do you love God and love others with your whole heart, with your whole soul and your whole mind and in the world? And, and 
you know, the lost, the oppressed, the, the disadvantaged, the, the social outcast, the, the poor, the, the nations that are struggling, nations that, uh, people that are living in, in countries that don't have, you know, 5% of the capacity we have or the ability that we have or the opportunities that we have. How do we, how do we love them? You see, because when we love... When we really love, we will see God work. I'm convinced of that. I said before, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we get to see God work. When we genuinely love, when we set our hearts to love other people, you will see God do amazing things. When you're being him with skin on, you'll see it. I want to tell you three stories. Um, and it would be remiss of me not to tell them, and I haven't told them to anybody else yet. They're stories about our team in Africa. I knew I was going to be speaking on this. Uh, Joel and I had spoken before I left, and we knew that um, we knew what the final theme was going to be, and um, I knew I was going to be speaking on this, and I'd been pondering it in Africa. I spent a couple of days sick, which is good ponder time. <laughs> but I've been pondering in Africa and I thought, what, what, what does this really mean? So I started challenging uh, my team and saying, okay, so if, if we were really, and I was talking to them about what I would, I'd been reading and what I'm sharing, if we're really going to love people, what would it look like? Let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to just you know, inhabit us. He, he is, but let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to inhabit us and, and go with us. We went to the slums, as we always do with teams. I was heading to the slums and we had arranged to visit 12 households, <clears throat> 12 people rather, and um, we decided and that we were going to go and love them. And love is, you know, we gave them, we gave them gifts, we, um, and, but we decided that we were going to love them with the Holy Spirit, that we were, really, we were going to ask them how we, could, how we could love them and how we could pray for them. Now, in Africa, they usually say, well, you can love me by giving me things and, you know, that's pretty normal, but we were going to choose to, despite that, we were going to pray for, for real needs. And um, we did in, in these 12 homes. I'll tell you about three. We, um, as we challenged the team, we went into one home and an old man, um, old, well, he looked old, he had a broken arm. He had what could loosely be termed a cast, but he was in enormous pain. And apparently he'd broken his arm and he'd gone to some sham of a doctor or someone who said that they could set it and they'd wrapped plaster around it and you could see that the arm was, was set totally wrong. Now, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, but you could see that it just wasn't... And he'd had something like four weeks of absolute agony because the arm was set wrong and, and he couldn't do anything about it. Well, we're not doctors and we couldn't sort of... And apparently after that length of time, you can't just go and... Re well, maybe you can, but maybe not in Africa... Um, so what do you do? <laughs> we pray for you. Sounded really, really weak. You know, what do you do? So we prayed for him. We laid hands on him and we prayed for him. We prayed that the pain would go away. We didn't pray that the arm would be fixed. We didn't pray that he would get the money for the doctor to re-break the arm and that um, men in Africa don't do pain. They run away from needles and everything anyway. So we didn't pray. We just prayed because you could see the pain in his face. We prayed that the pain would go away and we left. Went to another house with um, uh, a little kid, an eight-year-old kid was just lying, having trouble breathing on the floor of the hut and, and uh, kind of rasping in breath. And we asked the mother, what's the problem? And she said, well, I don't know. The, 
um, he can't breathe, he can't seem to get enough air and he can't... Um, uh, and that looked really scary and that looked kind of um, serious. So we, again, we, what do we do? So this time we prayed, but this time we decided to send... Um, there's a hospital close by, an international hospital. We decided to give them some money and put the mother and child on a motorbike and, and send them to the hospital to find out what was going on because it didn't look like this kid was going to last too much longer um, the way he was going. And we prayed for them. We gave them money and, and they left. And um, the third story uh, was a, an, a, a guy, an older guy who was quite sick. Um, sick but... but I don't know how sick he was or what he was sick with, but, but super stressed and really, really worried and panicking and um, what's happening in the slum at the moment is the slum lords are just mowing down their homes and that's actually begun and then building the homes which they pay something like maybe 6 or $7 a month rent, they can afford that, but they're just kicking them out and dozing them down and building little brick ones that they're charging three or four times the amount for to try to make money, and they can't afford that. So um, Lucy and everyone's already been there. Houses have been mowed down and, and gone. And um, his was right on the edge there, and his home, his house was going to be mowed down, and he was sick, he was stressed, he was not well, he had no idea what to do. Um, and so we sat with him, and we asked him whether we could pray with him. And he wanted to know what prayer was. This guy didn't know who Jesus was. And so um, we said, well, we explained quickly through a translator who Jesus is. That, you know, this is, you know, Jesus is someone who loves you. And Jesus is someone who cares about you, who knows what you're going through. And, you know, we believe that in the end, because this guy's really sick, that Jesus has a home for us forever. You know, that, that he is, you know, that we believe in eternity and, and he had been um, ancestor worship and some of the other things. So we prayed with him. We laid hands on him. I had my hand on his thigh. When we prayed for him, he got incredibly hot, incredibly hot. The, the heat coming out of his legs and going through us was amazing, it was just stunning. And um, we really felt like God was there in each of these three situations that the Holy Spirit was there. I'm telling you these stories because we decided to go back a week and a half later and see all 12 people. And um, we did. We didn't get to see all of them, but we did. And these three stick out because I'm going to tell you what happened. The old guy with a broken hand, a broken arm, when he saw us, he came running to us, tears running down his face. And he said, you know, he said that afternoon after you prayed, he said, I've had no more pain since then. For a week and a half, no more pain, Nothing. He's, in my mind, his hand still didn't look great. His arm still didn't look great. But he had no more pain. Totally gone. The kid with tuberculosis, well, I'm telling you now, it was tuberculosis. We sent him to the hospital. We went to his house and, the mo- and we said, where is he? And the mother said, it's amazing. The doctors found he had tuberculosis. They gave him, or well, the beginnings of it, they gave him some medicine. He's running around outside which is astounding, apparently. It doesn't happen that fast. Amazing. And this is not just great for them. This is great for us to know what it was like to love God. The last guy, this is the one that undid me. We went to his house and it was gone. It was bulldozed. And um, we spoke to Lucy and we uh, spoke to the neighbour who lived next door to him and said, well, where is he? You know, we'd like to to see him. And she said, oh, he's he's not here. He actually... um, he passed away the day after we uh, had prayed with him. 
And so that was kind of sad, but we knew he was really sick. But then the neighbour lady said that he had had... Well, when we prayed for him, actually, I didn't tell you this. When we prayed for him, we asked him... Um, we said, you know, he didn't know about Jesus. He said he saw, when we were praying for him, he saw a man that wasn't his, his past uncle or his past family who said that he really cared for him. That was all he said. So we were really kind of like really thrilled with that. We got back and the neighbour said, said that he passed away the day after, the afternoon after. In the morning, he had spoken to her and he had another dream when he slept. And he said to his neighbour... <laughs> I'm going to my new home this afternoon. <laughs> Get a new house. My biggest challenge or hindrance loving God and loving others. <coughs> Sorry. I'm not usually like this. Johan, I'm using your anointing right now. My biggest challenge or hindrance to loving God and others is I love me more, most. You see, we had to, we prayed and, and we were stunned with what we experienced there, but we realized that we really just loved God and loved others with who he was. <clears throat> you see, I want to love me with all my heart and my soul and my mind. <laughs> I want all these parts of who I am, my heart, my soul and my mind, to be dedicated to me. And this is reinforced every day in the media and everything I read. That's my problem. That's why we have a lost and broken world out there. That's why there's people that don't know who Jesus is. There's people that don't know what love looks or feels like. Because I'm busy loving me more than I love others. <clears throat> and it's just as true here in Australia. But we can change that. We can love like Jesus called us to. Because he first loved us. He loved us to death. His own death. And this in our lives and moves through our lives through the Holy Spirit. When we surrender our hearts, our soul and our mind, those three things we've been talking about, that's only possible because Jesus already surrendered it all for us. He left nothing behind. He left nothing on the altar. He didn't, there's no back door. There was nothing. He loved us completely with everything. His soul, his heart, his, his physical being. He loved us to death. So you, said, so you see in our, our series, Jesus said a lot of things, good things. And we would do well to ponder them and to apply them. But start here. Start with loving God and loving others. Discover how to love God with all your heart, your soul and mind. And then discover how to love those outside of yourself the same way, wherever they are. And um, if you discover that that needs work or help in your life, well, you're in good company because me too. 
Ask the Holy Spirit to prompt you, to teach you, to enable you, to give you courage to change, to, to shift from I to God and to others. Step up somehow. Take action. Do it. And when you do, you will see God work. You will see God move. Because that's who God is. He wants to love a broken world and he chose to use me to do it. You know, I think sometimes you're crazy, but he chose me and you to do it. And you can. Start somewhere. Let me pray. (coughs) 